0: Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome to Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. I'm producer and host Bonnie D. Graham. Very happy to be here with two experts, longtime gentlemen in the automotive industry. We're speaking today with Larry Williams and Larry Kyler. And I'm just going to ask Larry Williams, please introduce yourself, Larry. Tell everybody who you are, and a little bit about your background in automotive. Welcome, Larry Williams.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. And I've been in the automotive industry for my entire career. So just over 32 years. I grew up in the Detroit area, which is very predominant automotive, uh, both from the OEM standpoint, as well as suppliers. My father worked for Ford for over 40 years. Uh, When I was a senior in high school, I bought a 1965 Mustang and I spent the entire senior year rebuilding the car uh, from the ground up. So from that time on, I've always been hooked in the automotive industry. I went to college here in Michigan at Central Michigan Graduated and went right into the automotive industry in the finance field. Uh, Worked my way up um, and I've been with Henegas now either 18 or 20 years, depending on how you count it. Uh, 20 years ago, I joined our competitor, spent two years at our competitor and then left two years later. And then about 10 years after that, I turned around and bought our competitor. So uh, the company recognizes me as only being here 18 years. But uh, if you look in the industry, I've been in it for 20 years now. Uh, So, uh, over 32 years in the automotive and nearly 20 years with uh, my current company.
1: Larry, I loved your story, but I have a question for you. You left out what to me and maybe some car lovers is the key question. What color was the 1965 Mustang?
2: (laughs) It was yellow. It was white when I bought it, uh, but the original color was yellow. And so, uh, when I stripped it down to bare metal, uh, I decided to go back completely original So it was a yellow paint job with a black interior, uh, uh, six-cylinder, three-speed manual transmission, uh, 1965 Mustang.
1: That was the only way to go, wasn't
2: it? (laughs) Absolutely.
1: I know Larry Kyler is laughing. I know our listeners are going to be getting a smile out of that. We love the early automotive stories, Larry. So thank you for sharing yours. I'm sure it will evoke a lot of memories, a lot of good thoughts, or people are going to go scrambling on Google and say, I want to see a picture of a 65 yellow Mustang. What's this guy talking about? Thank you, Larry, and welcome to Automotive Insiders. We're we're honored to have you and uh, quite a background you have. Larry Kyler, you've been on with me before. Larry, welcome back. And just in case there's somebody who doesn't remember, remember who you are. Let's go through the bio.
3: Larry Kyler, welcome. Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. And I have to say, I don't have quite as, as extraordinary story about how I got into automotive. Uh, I grew up in a blue collar family, though, and uh, um, our cars generally were anywhere between 20 and 22 years old every time we bought one. So I just uh, had this going life that someday maybe I could have enough money to buy a new car. I've been in this industry for about 20 years, and so I have uh, spent a majority of my time uh, both at the OEM and the supplier uh, base. Uh, You know, Bonnie, the the industry has just continued to transform, and we'll talk a little more about that in a few minutes, Mm -hmm. but many of my clients that I've served over a 38-year career um, have in some way, shape, or form touched that um, supplier, that global supply chain. And so just in terms of just the transformation of of my skills, I have served this industry for, uh, I'm going to say, well over 25 years. So it's a pleasure to be here and thank you for your time today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I was doing the math. If you went with 38 and Larry Williams went with 32, we have 70 years of bona fide automotive experience here. And I bet both of you have seen Incredible changes over the years. We're going to talk right now about current disruption. We know, I, I think if I have my numbers right, automotive, the factories. Factories were closed, stopped production for 45 days in the beginning of the pandemic. That must have been catastrophic. And then the ripple effect down to the supply chains and how do you reopen and restart? So let's start with, I'm going to pose a question to both of you, but I'm going to start with Larry Kyler first. Larry, a little background here. Supply chains for automotive manufacturers are... The most complex processes in the world And recent market disruptions, which I just alluded to, have shown that some organizations were not prepared to deal with these challenges. And let's talk about influences on the supply chain from build to delivery. So how are companies responding? What's your point of view, your bird's eye view, or your your front hood view, Larry Kyler, of what's happening? And, And let's talk about the role of technology. How is it helping them or how will it? Larry Kyler, what do you think?
3: Yes, you know, um, so when you think about the automobile industry and and the manufacturers in general, they've definitely built some very, very uh, complex, intricate production uh, networks that have been designed to deliver um, efficiencies throughout the entire supply chain. Um, But in the past, these supply chains have left really very little room for, for error. And what covid 19 the pandemic has done is really revealed just how volatile, how fragile these these complex supply chains can be. Over the last 20 years uh, or so, um, you know, these supply chains have really evolved um, to bring uh, a little less vulnerability to some of the economic impacts. Global production um, happens in areas that are generally highly vulnerable related to climate changes or think about those countries that have significant political unrest. you know these are uncontrollable uh, environmental impacts that really impact that global supply chain. yet at the same time, uh, the world has gotten a lot more in, interconnected, uh, whether that's through technology or just uh, business intelligence and, and some of the way that we understand the supply chain today, versus what we might have understood it in the past and so those flow of goods in, in and out of a region and the impact that certain types of disasters for example can have is is very significant and has to be planned for so you know as we you know continue to uh think about how we experience through the pandemic this disruption um, it really requires uh, those automotive leaders, and I'd be very interested in, in Larry's perspective on this, to be focused on being very resilient uh, as it relates to globalization. Um, so, again, what I would say um, is through, you know, we've had disruption in the past. Um, the disruption that we are, are experiencing today is, is a global disruption uh, but through our experience in the past, um, you know, companies have, have had an opportunity to develop and employ strategies for hedging against certain disruptions. Um, and it provides, they've got methods and, and, and transparency into providing visibility into that supplier base. So um, relative to, you know, what do I see relative to technology, um, you know, and the impact of technology, certainly the transformation process um, the innovation of technology, providing business analytics and, and uh, business intelligence uh, to have a continued transparency in what's happening with both the supplier and the customer that the suppliers are, are working with um, provides an opportunity for deeper understanding of disruptions and impact and planning.
1: Thank you, Larry Kyler. Very interesting. You said so many key things to this conversation that people want to listen to and and are looking for. Larry Williams, please join us. Your point of view, and I will give you the option of agreeing or disagreeing with Mr. Kyler, (laughs) however you want to position it. But please, let's hear your thought leadership and your expertise. Larry Williams, you're up.
2: I think from a a global perspective, most of our production uh, resides within the region that we're going to ship it to. So while we're a global manufacturing company, we have 19 plants around the world uh, serving China, Europe, North America, South America. uh, Most of our production stays within the region that we produce it. So from the global pandemic standpoint, um, our ability to serve the OEMs uh, through this time hasn't been as significantly impacted as maybe some others. um, Because when the OEs went down, we shut down at the same time. We didn't have a lot of time where the OE was running and we had to be shut down because of the pandemic. Um, but where we see more of the impact to, to Henegas is in launching new programs from a technology standpoint and the technical support. Um, as we have run into manufacturing problems in certain regions and we want help or technical support to come from a different region, it's been virtually impossible to be live on site um, as we have are launching a new program in Europe uh, for us to send any technical resources from the United States, um, the, the governments aren't allowing right now. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to find, as Larry mentioned, technology and how do we do it uh, differently and how do we do it remotely? And so we've had to find different types of technology, whether it's through video conference, uh, Zoom calls, or um, virtual goggles, uh, where our engineers Um, on the plant floor or operators on the plant floor will perform a task wearing virtual goggles that our engineers uh, remotely can access and see through their eyes what they're seeing. And that's been the biggest opportunity for us is to learn new ways to do our business and, quite frankly, more uh, effective, inexpensive, cost-effective methods um, without having to jump on an airplane and not only... Uh, the cost of the travel to get there, but the time lost uh, for us to travel from the U.S. to China, you lose 24 hours. For us to travel from North America to Europe, you you know lose almost an entire day just traveling there and then another day coming back. And so figuring out how we can do this virtually uh, has been a significant advantage to us uh, during this time. Um, from a supply chain standpoint, we do have some of our suppliers uh, that we do import goods from. And so we've had to be to stay on top of of where they're located, uh, whether they're in hot spots or not, and then um, try to manage around whether they can meet our needs or not uh, during this time. Uh, so it's been uh an opportunity for the entire workforce to get involved in different ways uh, to manage the business. Uh, We, Our headquarters here in Auburn Hills, Michigan is still not open. We still have uh, virtually all of our employees working from home. Um, We have not decided to open the office to 100% of the people. We do have test labs here, so we have some people coming into the office, but for the most part, people are working remotely, Um, and we don't see an end to that in the near future, uh, especially as we're starting to see a lot more spikes of the virus coming back now uh especially with schools going back um and the news coming out of Europe over the past weekend and week uh where they've started to see some some real hot spots coming back uh where a lot of our manufacturing plants are located. Uh, so it continues to be a, a huge challenge to manage our way through this. Um liquidity it's a renewed focus from the entire organization on focusing on what the liquidity of the company is as we watch OES Shut down and, and cash not coming in the door um, and we have to rethink where we're spending our money and uh, how we're going to operate going forward.
1: Larry, you packed so much into that. We really appreciate that. I I have to go back to something that I think is optimistic, and I know that necessity has changed the way a lot of things are happening. As you said, in the past, you would put somebody on a plane, and they would lose the time in the 24 hours, and getting there, and being there, and not being available to do something else. But talking about those virtual reality glasses, this technology has been around for a little while, and now it seems critical to business. It's not just something you go to your local electronics store and say, hey, I'm bringing home a VR headset for the kids. This is the real need for it. This is the real purpose, is being able to do things. And we talk about kids having to learn from home and people not being able to go to the office. But in your case, you're mentioning in manufacturing, you need people there, physically there, eyes on the ground, if not boots on the ground. Let me just ask you a question, Larry Williams, are the people involved in this part of the process, are they excited? Is there a, almost a giggle Is I get to go to work and I get to wear a virtual reality glasses and I'm part of cutting edge technology that is part of what I do for a living to keep the world moving? Larry, have you heard any of this feedback? I'm just curious. I think
2: originally people got excited about using something different, uh, but now that it's become more uh, the way of, uh, that we're doing things, at least in the short term here, um, the excitement's gone a little bit and okay. they'd rather be there on site. And we originally, <laughs> when, when this started, we were using iPhone cameras and we were trying to mm. pull the camera video up to the process and try to watch it. And what we were finding is you're not looking through the operator's eyes. You can't really see what they're seeing. You're seeing what you see. And that's not always as effective. And so as we got into some of these virtual glasses that seemed to help a lot more, uh, because you a lot of our the problems that we 're trying to de- dissect is um, inside of a mold cavity, um, so you have to actually look inside the mold press at the cavities and see what's what 's causing an underfill or an overfill um, of a cavity uh, and, and the only way to do that is really to look at it and see um, see what 's going on and so uh, this technology has really been a lifesaver for
1: us. Hmm. Fascinating. Thank you. I was looking for that that people aspect of it rather than just the factory aspect. Thank you, Larry. Larry Kyler, I'm going to go to you next with a question about EVs. And just the fact that we're talking about electric vehicles now, to me, is a very optimistic thing that we have that on our minds. So, the question is, as the market moves more toward EVs, what impact do you see? First, Larry Kyler, and then we'll go to Larry Williams. Uh, what it you know what, I'm going to switch this. I want to go to Larry Williams on this one first. Larry, sure. while I have you in the hot seat here, I'm going to go <laughs> to you first. You're, you're more in the trenches on this one. What impact do you see this having on suppliers and the current global supply chain? And if you want to reference the, the supply chain as it moves forward into 2021. So EVs, what's the story with them? Larry Williams, go ahead.
2: I think initially it's going to deal around scale. And there's a number of new players in the market Um, Some are going to make it. Some are not going to make it. Some of the existing um, OEMs are going to be successful and some may not be, Um, but they're all going to start out slow. And so vehicle volumes on these new electric vehicles are going to be much less than the the typical um, engine that we see today. And so finding the right uh, company to partner up with and place your bets with is going to be important. Um, It's going to be important to be able to scale your business Uh, So start out small with the OEMs, and then as they start to gain success to be able to grow with them. Uh, We started off with Tesla, um, and as they started off, uh, their original projections were very high, uh, but they started off with some manufacturing problems, and so they had to scale their business. And so we had to scale ours at a similar rate to them. As they were ready, we had to be ready. Uh, So that's one aspect. Uh, Another aspect is around what components you currently manufacture. In in the electric vehicle market, some components are not going to be required anymore. Uh, Fortunately for my company um, 90% of what we produce will still be produced on an electric vehicle. Uh, So they will still be important components. Uh, Some of our other components that we manufacture as it goes to an electric vehicle, you know, will no longer be needed. And so we'll have to find uh, new products either to manufacture or new applications for the products that we do manufacture Uh, so If you're 100% manufacturing parts on an electric vehicle, they're going to go away. Uh, That's a significant problem for your company that you need to strategically decide how do you react to that and where do you move your products going forward. Um, Those are the two big components that I see uh, the move into electric vehicles impacting suppliers.
1: Thank you. Interesting. Larry Kyler, now I want to know what's your POV on this. Talk to me.
3: Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more Larry Williams on your comment on scalability. Um, you know, when you think about um the the systems that are essential to those uh uh internal combustion engines, um they're just absent from EVs. Your exhaust systems, your fuel systems, um, you know, transmission face, the, the 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 prospect of disruption as EVs become more mainstream is significant. I I I'm I'm uh, as I think through this a little bit to Larry Williams, I, I have to I have to step back a little bit because I think that financial stability and 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 the suppliers' um, digital capabilities uh, also gives rise to some of the suppliers. So it's the transition into EV technologies. It's all the things that you talked about in terms of uh, what you do best, what your core is, how that might change. Um, you know, it's it's it brings about um, a, a forward-thinking process of innovation and trying to project where you might be in the supply chain what your product lines, your services are services are changing dramatically as well with EV technologies. but the ability to project where you're going to be over the next two to three years will be incredibly important for the future stability of of, uh, of suppliers.
2: So and I think as, as we start to see a lot of the new OEMs coming on board, a lot of the historical paradigms around the OEMs are changing, mm. and for the supply base to learn a lot of those new systems um, is, is something that um, you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of resources on, understanding who your new customer is.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more with that.
1: To be seen to be known, to be revealed, right? I have another question for you. I know you're both very busy, but I have just two more questions. Larry Williams, I'm going to go first to you on this one because I know this impacts you more. We're going to talk a little bit about the USMCA. So the question is, do you expect any changes to your sourcing strategies as a result of the USMCA deal that went into effect July 1st, 2020? We're now uh, mid-September, so it was just basically a couple weeks ago. Larry Williams. Talk to me. From,
2: from our supply based standpoint, I don't see a significant change uh, with the USMCA. The majority of the products that we produce or purchase uh, come from the United States. Uh, they're not available in Mexico. Uh, so we don't source a lot of materials from Mexico. We do, however, manufacture quite a bit of products in, in Mexico, and we export that out of Mexico back to the United States. So a lot of that will be dictated by how our customers react. Uh, to the USMCA and whether we still fall within uh, the classification um, that allows us to continue to manufacture there, uh, but that's really dependent upon the OEM as opposed to our decision um, because we, we can't move our supply base um, because we, our product is primarily based upon oil and the majority of that in the refineries are here in the United States.
1: Thank you very much. Larry Kyler, you want to add something to this?
3: Yes. I think to build upon that a little bit, you know, for those companies that are impacted, um, you know, by the USMCA, um, you know, certainly um, the, the uh, coronavirus, um, you know, as it stabilizes in some regions, there's going to be spikes and others are going to be, um, you know, a focus from the procurement managers to really build more what what we would call resiliency into their programs. Um, you know, it really, uh, involves investing in, in kind of those business intelligent tools we talked about earlier, really understanding, um, you know, the supply chain, uh, the ability to, to change quickly, uh, onboarding and, and monitoring suppliers, um, you know, working remotely, uh, these are all critical, uh, what I would say, uh, areas for, for leaders to kind of keep in mind and think about as they look forward. Um, you know, some of the, the, um, the, if the companies already know there's, you know, have, uh, know, that their sourcing models won't allow them to qualify for some of the duty-free trade under the USMCA, then it may not matter where the steel or aluminum um, you know, comes from, and they may not really care too much about the rate. Um, so this just opens up opportunities, I think, um, and I'd be interested in any commentary, Larry, if you have some additional thoughts on this. Uh, for the supply chain managers to really pursue uh, kind of that low core sourcing, uh, low cost sourcing uh, and labor elsewhere um, to absorb some of these additional tariff costs. So, any I don't know if you have any comments around that or not for those companies for which this may impact. Yeah, I think reason.
2: the one thing that we learned as we started looking at it is this is significantly different um, than the old trade agreements, than NAFTA. And you really need to understand the rules and you really, you can't just um, assume that you understand them because you knew NAFTA. Uh, You really need to get in and understand. And initially we took a pretty superficial look at it. And then as we started to dig in a little bit deeper, found that we needed to go deeper and really understand what this new agreement was all about. Um, So it's knowing who your suppliers are and where they're located. And what um, you know, where, what is their wage rates, um, and, and understanding how that factors into your total process, and then how do you factor into your OEM's process? Uh, fortunately for us, we're a, a rather uh, small cost of an, an overall vehicle, um, mm-hmm. and the labor content piece um, isn't significant. It's it's not small, but it's not um, so significant that it, it impacts us. Um, an awful lot. But if you do have high labor content, then you do really need to pay attention to it.
3: Absolutely.
1: Thank you, gentlemen. I have a closing question for both of you. Let's go to Larry Kyler first. As an industry expert with your many, many years and decades of watching and being part of what's going on in automotive and now in this period of unprecedented disruption, Larry Kyler, what advice do you have in general for the automotive supplier community? And we'd love to have something optimistic if you can share that, Larry?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think uh, you heard that you hear the term a lot resiliency. And I think if there's one thing that's come out of where we're coming from is the ability and the resiliency of organizations uh, to succeed and to look forward and to think about a positive future. So, um, you know, I think a a, a true focus on on planning, uh, understanding how innovation and technology will continue to evolve and be in front of that understanding and how it impacts your business, where you're at in the supply chain, Um, you know, looking at how you best Continue to invest in R&D. For example, um, you know, Larry talked a, lot, a little bit earlier about how you manage those investments that you make. We're in some unprecedented times. We will be for a while, but really continuing to invest in the R&D and focus on your alignment of your cost structure uh, related to maximizing those margins back to your investors. It's so simple to say, but but that that is is certainly the the, the framework. Uh, that we would advise companies to really focus on in their priorities as they look forward.
1: Thank you, Larry Williams. Parting words for your colleagues in the industry. What do you see? What do you say? What do you advise?
2: I think in addition to what Larry has already mentioned, you know, I think you, you really need to listen to your people. Um, as we are in unprecedented times, um, we as leaders don't know everything. And there's a lot of new ideas, a lot of new innovations out there that we need to be listening and we need to listen to our people And just because it's the way we've always done things, we need to throw that out the window and look for new ways, new innovations, um, continue to be optimistic. The market seems to be recovering uh, for the most part uh, back to, I won't say pre-COVID levels, but Mm -hmm. at least recovering at a much uh, faster rate than we originally expected. Uh, We still are cautious uh, that a wave two could come back um, and it could disrupt again, but hopefully we learn some things through the first wave that we can apply through the second, if there is a second wave to continue to operate our businesses through this environment. Um, and don't forget that you know, your, your people are your most important asset and you know, treat them with respect and treat them right. Um, and they'll, they'll um, provide that same respect back to you.
1: Thank you. We love the people side. And by the way, I want to remind all of our listeners that something very exciting is happening in November. November 9th through the 11th is the OESA 2020 Automotive Supplier Conference titled The Journey Back to the Future. And Larry Kyler is going to be one of the presenters. Larry, are you all excited about that?
3: I'm very excited. uh, Very excited about it. Look forward to, uh, to the event.
1: What are you going to be talking about? Can you give us a little sneak peek?
3: No, no way, Bonnie. I just can't do that. This is uh, is kind of like the sequel to uh, to your favorite movie. So stay tuned
1: top secret. Anybody wants to know more about it, go to OESA.org. That's O-E-S-A-O-R-G. I'm going to ask Larry Williams to wave goodbye, Larry Kyler to wave goodbye. Thank you to Lauren. Thank you to Adam, our support people in the background. Thank you to our engineer, Aaron at World Talk Radio Voice America. Everybody, it's been a pleasure. We brought you some really, really very timely and relevant information today. Very appreciative. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll just say vroom find somebody to share a good ride with on a sunny day. That's what we all need. Signing off for Automotive Insiders presented by OESA.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.